Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And we're studying in this series right now faith and its opposite, an enemy, unbelief. Uh, Faith versus unbelief. You know, faith is trusting God's word, believing God's word as final authority. Unbelief is trusting more in the evidence of the five senses. Faith connects us to God and his grace, whereas unbelief disconnects us. It hinders the working of his power. Faith comes by hearing and focusing on the word of God, whereas unbelief comes by focusing on natural circumstances, feelings. You know, and that that is something that happens automatically from living in the world. The word softens our heart, making it sensitive to God so that we believe God. Whereas the world hardens our heart, it forms unbelief in us if we're preoccupied with it. Faith is the sixth sense, it's our spiritual sight. To believe is to see God and the truth of his word through the eyes of our faith. Whereas unbelief is spiritual blindness. It's like a veil over our eyes so that we only see and really believe in the realities of the natural realm. The word opens our eyes to spiritual realities, bringing us faith. Meditation in the world, on the other hand, on the natural facts of the matter, tends to blind our eyes, tends to harden our heart, so we don't perceive spiritual realities. Certainly not clearly enough that we actually uh, base our actions on them. Well, there are actually three kinds of unbelief. Number one, the unbelief of ignorance. In other words, some people have no faith. It's unbelief, you might say, because they have no knowledge of God. How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? Uh, The antidote, of course, to this kind of unbelief is hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And and ignorance is excusable for a time, a child or a new believer. But over time, you're responsible to discover the truth of God and his word. You know, ignorance due to apathy or willful choice, not to seek out the truth, it deserves judgment. Ignorance is not bliss. If you say, well, I won't study the word, I won't go to a church, then I won't be confronted with the word and then I won't be guilty of doing it. No, (laughs) without the word, your life will suffer destruction anyway and it will be your fault. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, ignorance. Because you've rejected knowledge, I will reject you. After a period of time, if you're still ignorant, it's because you've chosen to be ignorant and you are guilty of that. And then secondly, there's the unbelief of rebellion. These are those who've heard the word. They know it, you know, but yet they willfully reject it and refuse to obey it. Like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart seven times. You know, like Israel's leaders in the time of Jesus who rejected him. They had all the evidence. They really would have known that he had to be the Messiah. That's the unbelief of rebellion. But the unbelief we normally have to deal with in our Christian lives is what I call natural unbelief. That's the third kind of unbelief. Um, this is, these aren't willful, rebellious unbelievers, but they have their heart is hardened still. It's blinded. It's insensitive. Hard means to be insensitive, unfeeling. Uh, blind means to be insensitive to the light of God's word. And, and If we're honest, we all know the reality of that in areas of our life. That's what keeps us hearing from the Lord, being led by him. 
And so there must be another kind of unbelief that believers, even true believers, even believers in fellowship with God generally, have to deal with. You know, we're not ignorant of God's promises. We we do not willfully reject them. But we can still struggle to appropriate them, appropriate them and receive them in our lives and live in the good of them. Why is that? Well, because our hearts can easily become hardened or encrusted with natural unbelief. This is the normal kind of unbelief that believers get, you see. We have to constantly deal with it, really, because it, it, this kind of hardness is when we relate more easily to natural things. We're sensitive and we're focused on natural things. We're moved by natural things rather than by the spiritual realm, by God and his word. This isn't due to necessarily due to some kind of overt sin, although that will certainly open the door to lots of natural unbelief, but... Uh, It comes simply by allowing natural things to dominate our thought life. We're more moved by what we see than by the word of God. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. By my circumstances, I'm only moved by the word of God. You see, we all have to deal with hardness in some area. You know, and it can be revealed by the surprise we have when God actually moves in that area. We're, we're amazed. You know, Andrew Womack tells a story of how he prayed for a cross-eyed boy once. And immediately, the, the eyes became straight. And Andrew was so surprised that, God, that it actually worked that he blurted out, I can't believe it. And you know, immediately, those eyes crossed back again. His unbelief kicked in because he was so surprised. Now, it stopped his faith from working. And so, natural unbelief, the condition of natural unbelief, can happen. Uh, We can have faith in our heart and unbelief at the same time, but the unbelief will stop the faith from working. The power of God will not be released as it ought to. And it's often the case that a faith failure is not because of a lack of faith, but because of the presence of natural unbelief along with the faith. You see, the remedy then is actually to remove that unbelief by changing our preoccupation with natural things and refocusing it on God, on spiritual things. Now we're going to look at a wonderful example of this from the Gospels, the story of the epileptic boy in Matthew 17 and Mark 9. Let's read that. When they had come down to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's an epileptic, and he suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless, or literally unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? You know, Jesus is upset by unbelief. Bring him here to me. Now, notice the problem here is unbelief. Not just in the Father, but in the disciples who failed to cast it out. This wasn't because God was unwilling to set the boy free. Because actually Jesus, when he turned up, he immediately did set the boy free. So it was obviously God's will. But something was preventing the the power of God from flowing. Something was impeding their faith from working as it should. It was unbelief. And now... We're going to see that confirmed. If we go now to the story in Mark 9, it adds more detail at this point. We see Jesus' analysis of the situation in Mark 9. It says, Jesus answered the Father and said, O faithless, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. 
And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed, and foaming at the mouth, he had a fit. This kind of epileptic fit was probably what happened whenever the disciples tried to cast the demon out. And this explains how natural unbelief got into their heart. Such a fit, I don't know if you've experienced one, it can be very striking and shocking to your senses. It makes a powerful impression. The disciples were so impressed by this manifestation, this dramatic manifestation, they were, their eyes were pulled right off God and his word and Jesus and his power, and they were pulled into the natural realm, and they got their eyes off the power and authority they had in Jesus' name. And they were so impressed by this fit. Their faith, in other words, was paralyzed. That's why the unbelief prevented them from being able to cast this demon out. So he asked his father, it goes on, and says, how long has this been happening to him? And Jesus said, from childhood. And often he, he's thrown him, both in the fire and into the water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said this to him. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You know, for Almighty God, all things are possible. Nothing's impossible to God. And it's our faith that connects us to God and his omnipotence. That's why nothing is impossible to him who believes. Because our faith connects us to that power that can do anything. The, but the only thing that can hinder our faith from working, so that to, to do that impossible thing, is the presence of unbelief. And now we're going to see that the Father understood this exactly. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There you have it. Faith and unbelief we can coexist. Jesus didn't condemn that statement as invalid. The father knew he had faith, but he also knew he had unbelief. And, but he took this important first step of being willing, of wanting that unbelief to be removed. Help me remove this unbelief, Lord. Let's go back to Matthew now for the rest of the story. It says, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the cure child was cured from that very hour. You know, when the disciples failed to deliver the boy, most Christians would have said there, ah, oh, it must be God's sovereign will for him to be sick. That's a classic example of unbelief. The word says that God is our healer. He wants to heal us. But you see, instead of submitting to the word of God, they're controlled by their senses. They give what they see with their eyes a higher place of authority than the word of God. You see? And, and, and so if, if a sickness seems to prevail, well, it must be God's will. What are they taking as their evidence? The senses above the word of God. That's unbelief. No wonder their faith isn't working. But we see that the father did have faith, you see, because he did not accept that situation as the will of God, you see. He, he, he turned to Jesus. He didn't take the failure as, a, as the proof that it wasn't God's will. He did not take the evidence of his senses as his final authority, but he turned to Jesus in faith to heal the boy. Well, the outcome, of course, shows that God's will was to heal the boy, as Jesus demonstrated. So just because your healing hasn't been manifested yet, that does not mean it's not God's will to heal you. If you've got faith for healing, but it's slow in coming, the key is actually for you to remove all 
natural unbelief. Verse 19 it says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why couldn't we cast it out? The disciples were puzzled why they failed, you see. Because they knew they had faith to cast out the demon. Jesus had given them power and authority over all evil spirits. And they previously had had great success in casting out demons in his name. Uh, but now it didn't seem to work and they wanted to know why. Perhaps they had thought it was the lack of faith on the part of the Father, but Jesus proved that was wrong because Jesus was able to cast it out under the same conditions. Uh, they might have thought it was a lack of faith on their part, but Jesus actually points out a different cause. In verse 20, Jesus said to them, in answer to their question, because of your unbelief. Notice he doesn't say your lack of faith, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. It will move and nothing will be impossible to you. You'll be able to speak to that demon and command it to go and it will go. And all you need is faith as a mustard seed. You know, it wasn't due to a lack of faith, but it was due to the presence of unbelief. They had faith. They lived with Jesus. But the issue was not that. Jesus made it clear. He said, all you need is a small amount of faith as a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, and, and, and nothing would be impossible for you. So it's not like you need a huge amount of faith. They had enough faith. That's what he was saying. You've got plenty of faith. That isn't the issue. The problem is your unbelief. What was hindering? Your unbelief. It wasn't a pure faith. Faith and unbelief were present. You see, what was the unbelief? Where did it come from? From the impress, from the senses. That demonic manifestation so grabbed them. It took their attention off Jesus and it, and it grabbed their attention onto the natural problem. And they became more impressed by that than the, by the power of the solution that they possessed in the name of Jesus. You know, that power of that negative situation can so grab you that you forget the power of God, the promise of God, and, and then you're gripped now by natural unbelief that hinders your faith. You have to become disciplined to put your eyes on Jesus because he's bigger than that thing, whatever it is. Jesus then told them how to remove this kind of unbelief. Verse 21, he said, More, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, some assume Jesus was talking about this kind of demon. You, you know, there are some specially powerful demons that will only go out by special times of prayer and fasting. But that's nonsense. Every demon must bow to the name of Jesus. It cannot be that some demons are so strong that the name of Jesus isn't enough. No, if you look at the context, the subject that Jesus is talking about is unbelief. He said it's because of your unbelief. That's the issue, the cause of the failure. And, and, the, and the thing that needs to be removed and cast out, in this case, is unbelief. And Jesus was therefore saying, this kind of unbelief does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In other words, you're so into the natural realm that that you're not in touch with the spiritual realm, what do you need to do? You need to pray and perhaps also do fasting and what you're going to get your eyes off the domination of the natural things and get your eyes back and that's going to help your heart to function in faith again. Why did he say this kind of unbelief? Because there's three kinds of unbelief we've seen with three different cures. 
The cure for the unbelief of ignorance is hearing the word of God. The cure for the unbelief of willful rebellion is, of course, repentance. And, but the cure for natural unbelief, over-preoccupation with the natural things, is to refocus on the Lord. And when Jesus talked about that, he was talking about natural unbelief. This kind, due to preoccupation with natural things, so that the voice of natural things is stronger in you than the voice of the word of God, the cure is to move your focus back onto spiritual things through prayer. That's what Jesus was telling them. Guys, you need to get into your prayer closet. You need to get your eyes back on God. And fasting, he said. It, it refocuses your attention on God, sensitizing you to him. As you turn your eyes on Jesus, you see, the things of this world will fade away. And then, if you add fasting to your prayer, this reinforces the, this effect of your prayers. It's not to impress God. You, in fasting, you're denying your flesh, you see. You're bringing your body, your senses, your emotions into line. It's a discipline. You're enforcing a discipline, you see. Uh, in fasting, you're asserting your dominion over your flesh. You're saying, you do not control me. I control you. It's prayer sensitizes you to spiritual things. On the other hand, the effect of fasting is to desensitize you to the natural voice of your body, you see, that comes through your body. Now, while you're actually fasting, your flesh may well rise up, and it may seem to shout louder than ever. <laughs> but that's only showing that you're actually, uh, there's a bit of a fight there, but that's because you're taking dominion. It shows you're on the right track. And so if natural unbelief is hindering your faith, you need to take more time in prayer and fasting to tune into the spirit and to tune out the natural. And that will bring you back to the place where you're more aware and influenced by spiritual realities than natural realities. You see. So, well, God has given you a promised land, you see, of blessings that he wants you to possess. And this requires you to have faith. It comes from the word. But it's also essential for you to possess your promised land, that you keep your heart from unbelief. Otherwise, you'll be paralyzed. You'll never enter into the promised land. And you see, that's exactly what happened to Israel. Take that as another example. They initially failed to enter into the land because of unbelief. They allowed unbelief in. They were believers. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They heard the word of God. They had faith. However, they still failed to enter in. Why? Hebrews 3.19 says, they could not enter in because of unbelief. They knew and heard the word, you see, but they didn't meditate on it sufficiently, so it controlled their thinking and their actions. And Hebrews 3 is applying this warning to us that we don't make the same mistake, that we might not fail. See, in Numbers 13, it explains how this unbelief got into their heart when the 12 spies went in to spy out the land. They described the giants and the strong walled cities in the land. And they were so impressed by the evidence of their senses that told them how impossible it would be and how they were bound to die, that they forgot God's command, they forgot God's promise, they forgot God was going to go with them. Natural unbelief flooded their heart, and as a result, they refused to obey the word of God. The report of the ten spies was factually correct. It wasn't wrong in that respect, but it was called an evil report because it was a report of unbelief. It only presented and considered the problem. 
It failed to consider the faithful God who would give them success, who's greater than the problem. They took their senses as the final authority rather than the word of God. That's why it was an evil thing, unbelief. That this kind of unbelief is serious to God. He warns us too. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts in unbelief. You see, how do you do that? By focusing and trusting in the natural more than you do in God. He also warns us against an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, the deceit of sin, by the way, is, is the original lie of Satan. You can disobey God, there'll be no consequences, it will go better for you if you do. But every step into sin is a step away from God. It affects your heart, it hardens it in unbelief, and it decreases your ability to believe because part of your heart is paralyzed by that unbelief. And so their repeated sinning in the wilderness actually had weakened them and opened them up more and more to this natural unbelief. And so they weren't able to focus on God when they needed to. The two spies of Joshua and Caleb, of course, they show us what fruit, real fruitful faith is like because the report they gave says, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. But they didn't stop there, you see. They reported the natural. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. They didn't, they didn't just believe the promise of God, but they also rejected any contrary voices coming through their senses. You see, if God has clearly spoken, you don't need to confer with flesh and blood. You shouldn't, because once God has said it, that settles it. They didn't deny the evidence of their senses, but they denied their right to control them. They were governed by a higher power and authority, and they guarded their hearts against unbelief. Yes, they agreed there were giants and cities, but they focused on God, who was greater. So however impressive natural things are, they're nothing compared to God. He can change them in a moment, and he was well able to cause them to overcome. But the ten spies and were so overcome by the natural factors, they forgot God. Unbelief flooded their hearts. They had more faith in their enemies than they had in God. And their report, when you read it, doesn't even mention God. It just focuses on the problem. It says, the men who had gone up with him said, we're, we're not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we are. God isn't even in the picture. And they gave the children of Israel an evil report of the land which they spied out. Well, and they talk about the land which we've gone through as spies, devours its inhabitants. All the people who we saw in it are men of great statue. We saw the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight and in their sight. In other, but where's God in this picture? It's an evil report because it just focuses on the natural impossibility. And Hebrews 3 warns us not to follow their example of unbelief. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you'll hear his voice, You'll have faith, but do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They failed to enter in and enjoy their promised land because they allowed their hearts to become hardened in unbelief. 
Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. God calls it evil. In departing from the living God, forgetting that God is alive. God is bigger than that problem. Believe in God, don't be obsessed with that problem. He says that's to depart from the living God, but exhort one another daily. Help one another daily. While it's called today, lest any of you become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, we've believed God. We have confidence in God, but we've got to hold it fast till the end, till the manifestation. Not confidence in the natural. While it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Who was he angry with 40 years? Those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. That's the reason that natural unbelief caused them. What's the cause of natural unbelief? It's meditation, preoccupation on natural things. And it makes you spiritually dull. What you need to do is protect your heart from unbelief coming in. How did man fall in the first place? Adam and Eve had faith. Satan came along and caused them to focus their attention on that tree, the wrong tree. And he tried to get them to undermine. He undermined God's word and contradicted God's word. And he gave false doctrine like you'll be as gods. He seduced them and then... As, as Eve got drawn into the natural realm and how the fruit was, was desirable to eat and good for the eyes, she, her focus got off God into the natural realm and unbelief got in her heart and that's what caused her to sin. And, and so she didn't guard her heart against unbelief. She, what, the attitude we need to have is God has spoken, God has said it and I am not going to touch, I don't care what the natural world says, I don't care what other voices say, they do not apply. I will not touch that because God has spoken. That's the final authority. That's all I need to deal with and I need to discipline myself to that. She should have spoken back to Satan, to that other voice and said, no, God, it is written. God has said this. That settles it. End of discussion. And that's the kind of discipline we need to have when the voice of unbelief comes to us. We need to assert the word of God. Like Jesus said, it is written. Take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and say, it is written. You have to use your mouth to resist thoughts of unbelief, to stop them getting to your heart. You need to declare the word of God and cancel the power of those thoughts out. You can't, if you're passive, you will soak in everything that comes to you that claims to have any authority, that sounds reasonable. No, you need to rise up with the word of God. You need to protect your heart from unbelief because otherwise your faith will not work as it should. How can you have success? You need to keep hearing the word of God. Keep hearing the word of God and it will be given to you. But you must protect your heart from the weeds of unbelief. Amen.